In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Your family, it may seem like that is a lovely parable, but not applicable to our day, because how often do we see someone along the side of the road, beaten, robbed, left for half dead? Well, actually, we're seeing a lot of it these days, aren't we? We're seeing it physically and all the disaster and all the rioting, looting, burning and shooting, but we're seeing it in the destruction of our hearts and our spirits by all the crazy nonsense going on all around us, by people disconnected from almighty God. So if we're going to be a good Samaritan, we should start thinking about what that means, what that means in our daily life here and now. How can we be a good Samaritan? considering all the wounded and beaten people that we're seeing all around us now in spirits and in soul. We can start by just being Catholic. And if family, there are so few of us, just as Jesus said there would be. If family, it is good, so very good to be Catholic. We proclaim this good every single Holy sacrifice of the mass when we individually proclaim in our heads, the priest does it from up there. I believe in one and only one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So our focus today also called to mind the gospel passage where Peter confesses that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the Christ. Remember how our Lord responds to Peter. No mere mortal has told you this but only my father in heaven. Therefore, I'm going to give you the keys. We can understand our whole meditation today with another simple life lesson. Those life lessons I teach from time to time. I call this one the life lesson of the keys. As we heard in that gospel passage, Jesus handed out exactly one set of keys. He gave it to the vicar of Christ on earth, Peter, the first pope. And that one set of keys has been handed down vicar of Christ to vicar of Christ to vicar of Christ ever since. There's only one set of keys. So understand this. Jesus did not come back in 1517 and say to the heretic, apostate, schismatic, Martin Luther, Martin, I, Jesus, made a mistake. As if that's possible. I made a mistake appointing Peter and his successors as the holder of that, those keys. Yeah, Martin, it's, really, it's gotten really bad in Rome. So even though I, Jesus, said the gates of hell should not prevail against my rock, upon which I will build my one and only church, I obviously made a mistake. So I'm going to take away from Peter's successor my one set of keys and give them to you, Martin Luther, Partly because you, Martin Luther, are just so darn holy. You aren't a sinner, Martin Luther. Oh, all those other people are sinners, but not you, Martin Luther. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. Back to Jesus. So here are those keys, Martin. I took them away from Peter's successor, and I now give them to you. Dear family, we know that is never what happened. It never happened. Interestingly enough, Luther said many things against the Catholic Church, but I'm not aware that even he made any genuine claim 
to now being the one and only new holder of the keys. Nor did John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, or John Knox make such a claim. In fact, some of these original Protestant deformers, get this straight, dear family, get this straight. I get less patient when I'm tired, so I'm probably not patient even thinking about it right now. Get this straight, dear family. The Protestants did not reform the church. They deformed it. There's no such thing as a Protestant reformation. It properly is identified for what it is as the Protestant deformation. And even those original deformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Knox, they acknowledged it would be a scandal if the people came to know that even they disagreed amongst themselves. So it goes when you throw into the mix, into the one truth of Jesus, such personal interpretation and relativism. But in short, even all those icons of schismatic heresy never claimed to be the new and only owner of that one set of keys. So understand it all, dear family, by the simple life lesson of the keys, what we heard in today's gospel, what Jesus, what Jesus told us we must do if we're going to be faithful Catholics, love God above all things, love our neighbors ourselves. And understand that our Lord gave out only one set of keys and they are still held by the vicar of Christ on earth. Occasionally there's times when there isn't one in between death, for instance. But if there's a vicar of Christ on earth, if he exists, he's got the keys. So let us be awash in the grace of being part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the one and only truly apostolic church on this weekend when yesterday we venerated the queenship of Mary, queen of heaven and earth, queen of angels, queen of patriarchs, prophets, and apostles, queen of all saints and martyrs, our queen, our blessed mother. If the holy archangel Gabriel can, can proclaim, hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. We certainly can pray those exact same words. And if the Protestant deformers don't like it, tough. Let us get this straight, dear family. We do not change the one holy Catholic and apostolic church to suit the Protestant deformers. Heck no. Do you see, dear family, in those words of queenship just spoken, queen of heaven and earth, queen of angels, queen of patriarchs, etc. Taken directly from the glorious litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary, do we see the eternally damnable error, heresy, apostasy of Anabale Bagnini? I talk about him from time to time. His apostasy when he said, quote, we must strip from our Catholic prayers and from the Catholic liturgy everything Everything. He didn't just say a few things. He didn't say some things, many things. He said, we must strip from our Catholic prayers and from our Catholic liturgy everything, which can be the shadow of a stumbling block for our separated brethren, that is, for the Protestants. In other words, just make it another Protestant denomination. He died unrepentant, by the way. How do we know this? Because he wrote an autobiography. I've read parts of it big chunks of it, the most pertinent parts, boasting of his agenda. He didn't retract a word of it. 
It's going to be a problem. That is to be contrasted with the great Archbishop Viganò, who said essentially, if not verbatim, that he was going to die soon enough and he would have to stand before Jesus and give answer as to why it would be that he, Archbishop Viganò, knowing the truth of the McCarrick disaster, did not speak up and speak out. Well, as for me, speaking up and speaking out might be my only saving grace. So thank you, Archbishop Viganò, for being the courageous and true shepherd of the church, standing up, it seems, just like the great Saint Athanasius did, Athanasius against the world, Athanasius contra mundo, against an entrenched brood of vipers, including McCarrick. Thank you, Archbishop Viganò. So again, dear family, if the holy archangel Gabriel can proclaim, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. We certainly can pray those exact same words, and if the Protestant deformers don't like it, tough. Let's get this straight, dear family. We do not, as Annabelle Bagnini tried to do, change the one holy Catholic and apostolic church to suit the schismatic Protestant deformers. Heck no. And yet... And yet, you've heard it. We've all heard it. People banter around the word ecumenism. Like it's the new best thing. Like as if that's the spirit of Vatican II at work. But they don't know what they're talking about. So let's put that big lie to rest right here, right now. Ecumenism is not watering down the fullness of the truth. Watering down the teaching of Jesus handed down unchanged, unchangeable through the only church that Jesus established. Ecumenism, properly defined and understood, is one of our spiritual works of mercy, where we instruct the ignorant, instruct the Protestant deformed about the truth. Ecumenism is not ever watering down the Catholic teaching so as not to offend a deformed Protestant. Nor is it, by the way, as it seems to be going on in so many places, is it watered down the Catholic Church to appease Catholics? Again, as always, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's start first with Jesus. First, Jesus taught, whoever will not receive you or listen to your words, go outside that house or town. You know how the story goes. Shake the dust from your feet in testimony against them, and it's going to be worse for them than it was for the Sodom and Gomorrah people. And then Jesus commanded, you know this, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it's so clear, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, this is the key, teaching them to observe all that I had commanded you. And then after the great coming down of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, Peter and the apostles immediately went out. And when you read it, it's just kind of stunning. They lit into the Jews who crucified Jesus. Quote, therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts and asked Peter and the other apostles, what are we to do, my brothers? Peter said to them, repent. And so it is, so it goes, so it applies to every person separated from 
the one and only one holy Catholic and apostolic church, repent of your deformation. Which is exactly why the great dogmatic, unsurpassable Council of Trent declared thusly, that all therefore might know, which is the Catholic Church, the fathers, guided by the Holy Spirit, added to the creed the word apostolic. For the Holy Spirit, who presides over the church, governs her by no other ministers than those of apostolic succession. And just as this one church cannot err in faith or morals, since it is guided by the Holy Spirit, so, on the contrary, all other societies, so I was talking about denominations here, all other societies arrogating to themselves the name of church, oh, listen to this, this is just stunning, must necessarily, because guided by the spirit of the devil, be sunk in the most pernicious errors, both doctrinal and moral. Now that was language written by true men, true shepherds, not some milk toast purveyors of platitudes and pablum. Now let's bring us, but that's, you know, some, here's some people. Well, that was Trent. That was 500 years ago. Let's bring it up much closer in time than Trent to when the fathers of the Second Vatican Council issued their decree on ecumenism in 1964, Unitatis Redin wherein they stressed that ecumenism is mainly intended to restore those deformed to the unity of the church, to reintegrate all Christians into the Mystici Corporis Christi, or mystical body of Christ, under one pastor, the Bishop of Rome, the Catholic Bishop of Rome. The decree asserts that in ecumenical dialogue, theologians must proceed with love for the truth. Ecumenical dialogue with this understanding is ultimately an act of obedience to Christ who appealed to his father. You remember what he said at the Last Supper, that we may all be one. That they must proceed with love for the truth is exactly why our bulletin cover has had for about three years now a front page banner that states Veritas and Caritatis, truth in love. For indeed, speaking the truth is the way of true love and mercy. So now let us bring this, the life lesson of the keys and the true definition of ecumenism. Let's bring it all right to our present day. Apart from 2,000 years of the Catholic Church's unchanged teaching, we have the great, absolutely brilliant Pope Benedict XVI, who eviscerated the loons who, after Vatican II, grotesquely misconstrued Lumen Gentium. So their family, fasten your seatbelts and get ready to realize that any shepherd who promotes a different theology, a different ideology than the one Pope Benedict XVI only reiterated, he didn't make it up. He reiterated it like a shepherd is supposed to do. Any shepherd who promotes a different ideology has strayed from the one true church and is teaching a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And dear family, we cannot be surprised. Listen, we cannot be surprised that there are those who do this. For as St. Paul wrote to the Galatians, quote, 
There are some who are disturbing you and wish to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's a strong phrase, pervert the gospel of Christ. He said it, not me. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that one be accursed. Let him be damned. He continues, as we said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than the one that you received, let that one be accursed. Again, just so we're clear on this, dear family, let that one be accursed means exactly what we think it means as it relates to the eternal fires of hell. But we don't have to just take St. Paul's words for it. St. Paul wasn't just having a bad day. No, no. Let's, I'm mad at those Galatians. Let me write a nasty gram. No. We don't have to just take St. Paul's words for it because Jesus taught it to quote that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, lead him astray, preach a different gospel. It would be better for him to have that, you know, the great millstone into the deep blue sea. He said, and then, and then Jesus said this woe to the world. That means damned is the world because of things that cause sin. Such things must come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Remember Matthew 23, the woe to you chapter where our Lord ripped into the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. Woe to you. They knew exactly what he meant. Let's not pretend otherwise. Woe. And Jesus warned us about them specifically. And then many will lead into sin, will be led into sin. They will betray and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Because of the increase of evil doing, the love of many will grow cold. Our Lord warned us. So let us get this straight. The truth that the Catholic Church always has taught, was in and always will be, the truth Jesus gave to the Catholic Church to teach into all corners of the world until the end of time, which is exactly why the Catholic Church always has taught, unfailingly has taught, never has changed, quote, that the mystical body of Christ and the Roman Catholic Church are one and the same thing. You can read that exact quote from Blessed Pope Pius XII in his 1950 encyclical, Humanae Generis, section 27. However, because, watch, because the Vatican II document, Lumen Gentium, did not use that very specific express reiteration, merely a reiteration by Blessed Pope Pius XII, that the mystical body of Christ in the Roman Catholic Church are one and the same thing, but instead said that the church of Christ subsists in the Catholic church. Listen, listen, we had big debates about this in seminary. If I asked you right now, your eternal soul depends on it. What does that mean? That the church of Christ subsists in the Catholic church. What does that mean? Put it into practical use. Could you do it? I doubt the majority of the ordained could do it. You might have some opinion. You know, our opinion doesn't count. My opinion does not count. What counts is the unchanged, unchangeable truth of the Catholic Church, which is the mystical body of Christ and the Roman Catholic Church are one and the same thing. So if we're going to define subsists in, we'll look at 2,000 years of what that means, not what some post-Vatican II person's opinion is about it. But, but some commentators post-Vatican II read 
you can read that as heretics with an agenda, proposed that this phrase subsists in, reflects a change in Catholic doctrine. Impossible, dear family, it is impossible to have such a change in our doctrine. The implication of this, of their opinion, would be that the heresy, that the mystical body of Christ in the Roman Catholic Church are not one and the same thing. That's what it would mean, that the mystical church is not represented exclusively in the Catholic Church, but, and this is huge, but in other Christian denominations giving recognition and legitimacy to them. These people don't understand the very simple life lesson of the keys. There's only one set of keys and only one person holds them, the vicar of Christ on earth. Well, Pope Benedict XVI, seeing all the confusion that was being spread by this false interpretation of Lumen Gentium, this false interpretation of subsists in, uh, an interpretation contrary to what has always been the case that the mystical body of Christ and the Roman Catholic Church are one and the same thing, Pope Benedict XVI, seeing the confusion that was spread, sought to resolve the confusion. And he directed the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to issue a clarification on June 29, 2007, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, stating, quote, that the Second Vatican Council neither changed nor intended to change the Catholic doctrine of the church. Thank you, brilliant Pope Benedict XVI, for the clarification. Pope Benedict XVI knew full well, long before me, long before him, what I've told you many times. Jesus did not go through all he went through, his suffering, his passion, his crucifixion, to leave us confused. Confusion is not from heaven. Confusion is from hell. And anyone who, who confuses you is also doing the work of Satan, creates conflict and division, indeed schism. Knowing this, the brilliant Pope Benedict clarified and cleared up and eliminated the confusion. Again, the Second Vatican Council neither changed nor intended to change the Catholic doctrine of the church. Wherefore, again, one last time in simplest terms, the mystical body of Christ and the Roman Catholic Church are one and the same thing. But not surprisingly, Pope Benedict XVI wasn't making it up. He wasn't just having a good day. I think I'll say this. No. Rather, simple, a similar clarification already had been given by the same congregation way back in 1985 during the pontificate of Pope St. John Paul II. Therefore, you ready for this? There is no excuse for any shepherd to still be confused about it come June 2007. Now listen to a more thorough re-clarification, a restatement of the 1985 clarification. Listen to June 2007. The June 2007 clarification, speaking on all the Protestant denominations, restated the Catholic Church's position that, here we go, that because their hierarchies represent a break, Break as in broken, dear family, as in broken. Because their Protestant hierarchies represent a break in the historic episcopate called the apostolic succession, Protestant denominations are not true churches. 
and are instead termed ecclesial communities, as contrasted with orthodox communities, which have bishops in the apostolic line and are therefore considered true, if deficient, churches. So, dear family, practical application, next time you drive down West Avenue and you see 20 different schismatic, deformed ecclesial communities, just remember, they're not a true church. That is dogmatic, dear family. Therefore, the proposition recently put out there that God willed diversity of religions is false, period, and a debate. But again, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't even have to take the clarifications of Pope Benedict XVI or Pope St. John Paul II for it. All you have to do is listen to the gospel because we do have to take Jesus's word for it. And Jesus's words summarize, are summarized by the life lesson of the keys. And so I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. And I will give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So dear family, let us end as we began. It is good. It's so very good to be Catholic. We proclaim this good every single holy sacrifice of the mass. When we individually proclaim, I believe in one and only one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So let us this weekend be awash in the grace of being part of that one Catholic church, the one truly apostolic church on this weekend where we venerate the queenship of Mary. Queen of heaven and earth, queen of saints and martyrs, our queen, our blessed mother. Let us understand through the life lesson of the keys that schismatics continue to reject Mary, the mother of the Eucharist, which is just one step below their rejection of the Holy Eucharist. You know, that's all you need to know. They reject the Eucharist. They left the Eucharist just like, they, just like the Jews did in John 666. They rejected the Eucharist. They're not part of the mystical body of the Catholic Church. That's why they can't receive when they come to our churches. They have rejected the Holy Eucharist. Our Blessed Mother and the Holy Eucharist. That's going to be, they're going to be a world of hurts one day when, as Archbishop Vigano mentioned, they're going to stand before Jesus. And there, Sitting beside him at his right hand is the queen. A real Catholic gazing for the first time upon his or her mother instinctively will proclaim the words of the holy archangel Gabriel. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. In fact, not only is the Lord with her, he is sitting right beside her. All glory be to God. But a family we've been told by our blessed mother since our lady of Guadalupe about 500 years ago, since our lady of Quito, Ecuador about 400 years ago, since our lady of the miraculous medal about 200 years ago, since our lady of Fatima 100 years ago, we've been told that our time to fill our lamps with oil is now. The time to pray is now. The time to fast is now. 
So let us on this great feast day weekend conclude by calling upon our blessed mother's intercession, repeating the Catholic prayer of the miraculous medal. O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.